Late one night, at the height of the Montgomery bus boycott in the 1950s, a young Martin Luther King Jr. was awoken by a phone call. The voice on the other side was a violent, bigoted, and hateful one. The voice called him racist names, threatened King and his family. After the man on the other end hung up, King was too frightened to go back to sleep. He went to the kitchen, put on a pot of coffee, and began to pray. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that very moment, King was overcome with a sense of God's presence and a renewed faith. The outer situation remained the same, King shared, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, he continues, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me a new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms and problems of life. Now this story to me is a powerful one about Dr. King's courage, but also one of incredible forgiveness. That experience of trust and confidence that came for King by being aware of a holy presence. How did that happen? Certainly it was a mystical experience, and for King a miraculous one in that moment. But could it be also that spiritually, psychologically, and even physically, King had done the work to have that kind of experience? Certainly it wasn't the first time he had felt threatened. When King was 14 years old, he got to compete in a speech competition that he won. In the speech, he shared about the rights of black citizens and supported it with facts from the Constitution. His teacher, who had been in his encouragement to enter the contest, had also rode the 90 miles with him by bus to get to the competition. On the way home, King and his teacher were sitting up front and a white woman came onto the bus. The bus driver snapped at King and his teacher to go to the back of the bus. They must have not started moving fast enough for the driver began to yell at them. King was so upset he did not want to move. King's teacher pleaded with him too. King stood up, held onto the bar overhead, and stood the entire 90-mile journey home. He would later share, I had never been more angry in my entire life. For a young man like King and so many individuals treated like second-class citizens, there was much to forgive. King consistently had to forgive elders who would persecute him because of the color of his skin. He, as a black man, had to continually wrestle with what had happened to the people of his race at the hands, policies, and ignorance of whites. He as a minister had, I'm sure at times, to find forgiveness in his own faith for other ministers who would use their faith to spread hate or stay silent in the face of cruel and unjust laws. And yet what made King so great, and I believe such an effective leader, was his ability to forgive. He saw all people as one, and his goal, through preaching and protesting and conversing with others, was to help build an understanding of this. King shared a story of being in jail. We were in jail in Birmingham the other day. The white wardens and all enjoyed coming around to the cell to talk about the race problem. And they were showing us where we were so wrong demonstrating. And they were showing us where segregation was so right. And they were showing us where intermarriage was so wrong. So I would get to preaching and we would get to talking calmly because they wanted to talk about it. And then we got down one day to the point. That was the second or third day. To talk about where they lived and how much they were earning. And when those brothers told me what they were earning, I said, Now you know what? You ought to be marching with us. You're just as poor as Negroes. 
And I said, You are put in the position of supporting your oppressor, because through prejudice and blindness, you fail to see that the same forces that oppress Negroes in American society oppress poor white people. King would share, Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. King talked about the drum major instinct, which he described as our inner need to be first, to be at the front of the line. In a healthy way, this is our desire to succeed, but in an unhealthy way, King saw the drum major instinct at the heart of racism. People in a twisted desire to be great will sometimes push other people down in order to lift themselves up. As King would explain when he was in jail, this was often in his day, poor whites. Can we not see this twisted use of the drum major instinct today and how some people disparage Mexicans or South Americans who find their way into the United States to seek a better life? Can we not see this use of the drum major instinct still used not just by the rich at times over the poor, but the poor over the even poorer? King's message to us is that we are one, and where he could help someone through a speech or a conversation or a debate to have an experience of oneness with all humanity, King knew his cause was exceeding. Preaching this oneness, however, is not easy when being persecuted. This is where constant forgiveness came in. And I think King's firm forgiveness practice is what helped make it so easy for him to feel God's presence so strongly that frightening evening. I'm not saying a sense of God in the midst of our struggles can't come at any time, but I also think that by daily practicing an attitude of forgiveness, when a moment of deep fear comes, we are more inviting of that presence. For some of us, it may not be a racist call that wakes us up at night. It could be a health diagnosis, a sense of loss of a loved one, a regret of something stupid we said, or a deep fear of the unknown. All of these events call for a positive action and a deeper trust, but also for forgiveness. Life isn't easy when live with heart. That's my experience. Thus, the heart must be free both to confront its authentic feelings, but also to continue to love without restriction, to move forward, to follow its meaning and sense of purpose in life. This is not a forgiveness practice we pull out once in a while, It's a daily ritual, a daily recommitment. In the most difficult of days, a moment-by-moment practice. If you want to practice forgiveness, say to yourself, I am giving all of my love today. I believe in who I am and where I am going, and I move towards that place in where I am now, untying myself from any restrictions past. I may have scars and memories that hurt, but because of and at times in spite of I carry on with a creative love. As I do, healing happens. Wholeness happens. Rejuvenation with grace occurs. I am one with all people, of all places, of all races, of all genders, of all faiths. We are all one. When my brother makes a mistake, I forgive him. When my sister makes a mistake, I forgive her. When I make a mistake, I forgive me. I forgive by remembering our oneness, but also by calling forth positive action and change. As this positive action and change takes place, all of us live that much closer to unity, that unity which is closer to us than we will ever know.